For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. Good evening, Josh. Hello, Dan. And this evening on the program, we'll chat with Angelo Esposito of Whisk Solutions. It is a bar inventory app. It is, uh, and uh, and I think that one of the most in- really interesting parts about his stories was, you know, we always ask uh, where the where the entrepreneur gets their mentors from. And uh, this, uh, and Angelo applied to be part of a great accelerator program uh, out of Toronto called Techstars. And uh, actually, he'll be in Toronto tonight, so he's going to be calling in. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great part of his story and uh, some, some good lessons to be learned. Yeah, especially for startups. Uh, there's some really great co-working communities uh, that, that uh, he, he seems to have taken advantage of. And so we'll chat with Angelo Esposito of Whisk in a little bit. Also later in the program, Micheline Mayette, HR consultant at FL Montreal. We'll talk about the challenges of cannabis in the workplace, the impending legalization, of course, in June or July, July, I believe. And uh, yeah, what that means for employers. Uh, will that mean that more people are going to show up to work stoned? We'll talk about that with uh, Micheline <laughs> a little what, while. Will you be even be able to tell? <laughs> exactly. Uh, first, though, uh, our usual entrepreneurial news and notes of the week. And usually I ask Josh a bunch of questions about uh, being a new entrepreneur. But I guess, do you want to flip the flip the program a little bit? And I guess in year seven, I'm just perfect. I'm a perfect entrepreneur. I've learned everything there is to know. I'm, sh- I'm <laughs> sure you have no flaws, Dan. <laughs> None and, at all. And, and that you'll, you'll never appear on our on our F-Up nights uh, when, <laughs> when we have them. Uh, but actually, you know, and this has come up a lot when we're, when we're talking with other entrepreneurs, and not only on the program, but as we go day to day. And there's an evolution with social media. There's no doubt people always wonder where do, where should where is the best place for their so for their product or service. You know, between Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram or Google Plus, whatever whatever it might be. And the reality is, what was the answer several years ago might not be the answer today. And there there is an evolution. So I guess kind of looking to you and see what what did you see as an evolution and kind of what you did in your own business to to deal with that. So I'm going to write more about this soon, as soon as I have the time. Um, uh, on my, I'll put this on my social media as well. But we had a, a pretty big, a drastic change in the in the last year and a bit. And it had a lot to do with Donald Trump, believe it or not. Not for any overt political reasons, but we decided to rename the company from Provocateur to TNKR Media because the word provocateur became really popular in the Trump uh, far-right circles. And it's not the brand that we were really going for. And the other major thing that happened was how Donald Trump essentially ruined social media. Uh, and we, we've noticed, I think, over the past few years, Facebook and Twitter becoming very toxic, very political, very divisive. You may have noticed an abundance of sort of polarizing political posts uh, on your Facebook page in recent years. That's not a coincidence, um, in part because that's what a lot of people are, like Donald Trump and various political organizations, are are paying to put this stuff in front of you. Uh, but also, it's the way that Facebook arranges has arranged its algorithm. And it sort of seeks to bring out um, a lot of this uh, very controversial stuff, stuff that not ne- we don't necessarily want to see in our faces on a daily basis. So we're, we're being inundated with a lot of aggressive political material, a lot of uh, aggressive ads as well in our Facebook feeds. We've seen over the past year interactions on Facebook and some other social networks plummet, essentially. You know, you may have noticed on your own page, uh, you may have gotten fewer likes this year than in previous years, things like that, fewer shares, fewer comments. Not a coincidence. You're not you're not making it up. You aren't less popular. The, the messages are just not getting through because they're being taken, the space is being taken up by advertisers or 
Donald Trump or various political factions. Does it does it also make a difference? I mean, you know, I, I've heard the term Facebook going to mom book. You know, it's a different demographic yeah. that's on there. That's got to play a role in it as well. There's that too. Our social media use is becoming more fragmented. So Facebook is very popular among boomers. Uh, ain't nobody under 30 on Facebook or spending any kind of, any kind of significant time on Facebook. What I'll if I feel right like I'm under 30? Uh, well, that maybe. I mean, uh, Instagram is taking up a lot more room. So it was a really great move uh, by Facebook to snap them up. Um, obviously a different kind of social network. Twitter is another one that's more popular with media. LinkedIn is better for business to business. Um, so, so there's our, a reason. I mean, each one has its has its own space. There's yeah. no doubt you're going to be crossing over, but each one kind of has its uh, a good spot for certain aspects. Exactly. And, and every client that we work with has a different social media and traditional media mix. So for some clients, I'll say, don't even bother, bother with Twitter. But for others, I'll say, you got to have a Facebook presence. It really varies depending on the person's needs. And what we've noticed over the past little while, and it actually prompted us to scale back some of our social media plans, is that you know a lot of marketing agencies or social media agencies that do just that will try to sell you you know ten posts a day, whatever it is. It doesn't mean anything if the messages aren't actually getting through to people's timelines. So if you're not seeing them, all this content, all this stuff is wasted. So what we did was chopped up those plans, focused on a smaller amount of more quality content, and uh, basically decided to spam people a whole lot less. It's exactly where we're heading to with our with our social media. It's uh, we're going quality over quantity. At, yep, that's uh, it. at this stage, at least for Facebook. That's it. We call it think bait, but the the, the end result I think was just to uh, to make sure that you as as an entrepreneur are creating value with your social media, whether it's your blogging, podcasting, whatever it is, just do, don't bother people in your audience unless you're giving them something of value. Now, excellent. Thanks, Dan. News and notes for this week. And over to you, Josh, uh, the real estate market. We've been talking about this for uh, a while. It is heating up in Montreal and in a major way. Yeah, and uh, and you know, reading it, and there's been a couple of recent uh, articles, uh, even in our lovely own Montreal Gazette, and basically they're saying that there are people coming to buy. Now there's a there's a commercial side to it and a residential side to it. So from a residential aspect, there's there's a lot of people coming in. There's a lot of immigrants, a lot of people buying into the immigrant investor program, and a bunch of millionaires, and dare I say. A bunch of Chinese millionaires uh, that are coming in town and have the ability to buy big dollar properties. Combine that with the fact that Vancouver and Toronto created an additional 15% quote unquote tax for all foreign foreign buyers for, for real estate where Montreal doesn't have it. Montreal still look, still appears to them as a, a great investment site. So the, the, the condo market, the residential condo market, definitely heated up uh, and certainly on the, on the upper end. So where you think there's 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 too many out there, when you have, you know, over a thousand, over a thousand Chinese millionaires coming into the city each year, uh, that that's going to create some demand. Now on the commercial side, there are some stats. There are some stats and, and uh, you know, people look at what they call net absorption uh, for, uh, for, for the commercial properties. And net absorption is really the measure of, of tenant demand used in commercial real estate. So what they saw at the end of last year was uh, 1.9, over 1.9 million square feet looking at it as a demand. And the, the, that pre the previous record was in 2007 at 1.8 million. So there is definitely there is definitely something on the rise. There's 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 no quote no doubt that that if you're a commercial business you want to operate in downtown Montreal you got to get in there quick. But then you look at you know South Shore North Shore and the vacancy rates 
are actually quite low. So if you're if you're not buying your own building, if you're going to be a tenant somewhere, uh, make your plans and and budget accordingly because it's not going down anytime soon. Well, this year could be interesting, and um, from the political angle, I can't. I don't want to give anyone advice on what to do, but I, what I will say is that after the foreign buyers taxes were initiated in Vancouver and Toronto, I can say for a fact that this is going to happen in Montreal. I'm not sure if it's going to happen this year, but the Plant administration has been pretty clear on this. It will happen. So, in your view, what do you do? I mean, do you do you try to make your moves now? Do you wait it out if you're an entrepreneur looking for space? Uh, it's kind of a risky proposition. It, it, it is, and you know there, there there is a big level of uncertainty. I mean, I I wouldn't necessarily wait because I think it's only going up regardless. Uh, you know, e- even if it's not driven by by external factors. General trend is general general trend is up. General trend is that Montreal is still less expensive than than many other uh, cities and towns and, and areas in in North America, and uh, so I, I I wouldn't wait. Facial recognition uh, technology for cows. What is the this utility is, of this? This is, this is just a, a really funny article, especially when there's a big picture of a cow on the on, on the front as an image. And, you know, we've spoken um, in the past, Dan, about technology and crops. Technology and, you know, really, ma- really measuring to the nth degree how to get the most out of your crops. This is just another technology, how to get the most milk out of your cow. And apparently, and who knew that, that cows could have facial expressions or but but you listen cows lie on the ground they they think there's rain coming so they must have some type of facial or body expression so there there is somebody that created this this app for facial recognition to determine if a cow will produce more milk depending on how they appear or look or dare i say feel interesting you can you can there's an app for that you can make an app for anything you could put a face to your dinner uh, coming up on today's Entrepreneur, we will get to our profile of the evening, Angelo Esposito of Whisk Solutions. It is a bar inventory app, and Angelo will tell his story coming, coming up next on today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you for today's Entrepreneur. And coming up later in the show, we'll talk about um, uh, HR challenges regarding the legalization of cannabis. And Micheline Mayette, HR consultant at FL, will be on the program to talk about that. It's a little later. But first, our profile of the evening is Angelo Esposito of Whisk Solutions. They are a bar inventory app, and Angelo actually joins us on the line from Toronto uh, this evening. Angelo, hello. Hey, how's it going, guys? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for for joining us uh, remotely. So f- let's Absolutely. begin with the with the first basic question, Josh. And uh, that's it, Angelo. Uh, just to set up the, the the listener, and so they understand what exactly is Whisk. So Whisk is essentially a uh, beverage management system that helps restaurants, bars, and hotels with three things. One, it's managing their alcohol inventory. So cutting it down from a pen and paper clipboard process to uh, using a simple mobile app and saving about 80% in time. Uh, number two is helping them with their actual ordering. So when they place their orders, instead of kind of doing it uh, manually, they can do it autom- automatically with the predictive analytics. And then the third one is identifying losses by integrating with their point-of-sale system. That's now, kind of high-level what we do. Now, mo- most people are familiar, you know, with physical systems. You know, you have a, a one-ounce pour and all that. You have you have no machinery attached to you, no, no real hardware attached 
No, exactly. We believe in a free port system. So uh, competitors of ours would, let's say, have spouts that you attach or systems that are very uh, high startup costs and also very uh, manually intensive. Uh, whereas we believe in software that has a mobile app, uh, the only additional hardware would be a Bluetooth scale, but that's optional. So they can actually use our app even without that. Great. Now, uh, how long how long ago did this begin? So it started in 2014. Um, yeah, so about three over three years now. And it started with, uh, I was actually doing another nightlife startup at the time and uh, noticed the opportunity. And people always talk about pivots, and this was kind of a bit more than a pivot. It ended up being a, a whole new company. Um, and it actually worked out because I met, I met my partner, Thomas, who, I, who I've known for years, and he was actually opening up a... Uh, a bar in Montreal, so it was perfect timing, and, and that's kind of how it first started. So you were you're already kind of kind of part of the bar scene previously. Exactly. Now, exactly. How, now, so when you're when you're developing an app, you know, not you had no application development experience prior to this. No, none at all. Like I've I've managed development teams and then you know some some actual uh, you know managerial work, but in terms of actually developing, I've never done that. I've uh, I graduated in, in marketing, so. Uh, I'm not a software engineer myself, but so I was then, able to so kind of put a team together. Then, what would be your first step if you want to create an app? How? Do, what do you do? Where? Do, where do you go? Did you have to like search out there? Was it tough to find the the developer? Does it? Was it more idea generation first with your with your partner or co-founder? Uh, yeah. What are those first couple of steps? I think I think the first step is is uh, hashing out the idea, really thinking about the idea, and going doing the market research. So talking to your potential customers and validating that idea. So that's the first step. Before investing any money, just honestly work out the idea, talk to potential customers, and validate your idea. That's step one. Step two would probably be now the idea is you know, somewhat validated or there seems to be an interest and it makes sense and people are, you know, at least say they're willing to pay for it. That's when then I would start working on a what we call a wireframe. So just kind of jotting it down on, on the computer or on, you know, even, even on paper, but just kind of step-by-step step what the flow of the you know, app or solution would look like. Um, again, before investing too much money. And then from there, the last step, again, would probably just be uh, creating a prototype. So not investing too much money in trying to do, you know, an end-to-end solution, but just working on a prototype and to see if there's, a, there's still a fit and if there's still excitement from your potential customers. And Angelo, what kind of edge do you have on your competitors uh, who uh, have products uh, that are um, sort of in the same category in the inventory management system? Yeah, so it's, it's definitely a bit of a crowded space. I think where we stand out is, is a couple of ways. One is we actually integrate with the distributors. So like an SAQ or LCBO in the States, uh, you know, large companies like Southern One and Spirit. So we can actually uh, pull the purchase orders automatically. So that saves a lot of time when the clients are kind of doing the receiving uh, within the app. Um, the other thing that sets us apart is a lot of these other systems, it's more of a manual uh, method. So what I mean by that is you'll actually just, type in the name of the product and type in the number almost like a calculator. Whereas with WISC, you're actually just scanning the barcode uh, and putting it on a Bluetooth scale. So the big thing with WISC is we built a database of tens of thousands of bottles, bottle weights, densities, uh, images, barcodes. Uh, that's probably what took the longest, uh, especially in the first year. That's, that's what we mostly did. Do you do this on your own or do you solicit your customers to, to add? I mean, you know, I guess every bar is different. Everybody has their own inventory and their own specialty bottles. So, you know, it's almost like you can't have everything, but you got to try and have everything. Exactly. I mean, the good thing is that most bars, you know, for 80% of their stock, it, it, it's always similar. 
And then there'll be, you know, obviously there's high-end whiskey bars or wine bars where they'll have a lot of private imports or different stuff. But when we first started, it was uh, us that built it so we can give the value to the customer. So we built that database of literally thousands of bottles. And then from there, we took the best of both worlds where then the clients started kind of crowdsourcing. So as clients would add new bottles, um, it would be available to, uh, to everyone in our network, basically. So we have an ever-growing database. So you, when you, when you first started, you already had restaurants online. Like you, one of your partners was was already involved in some restaurants, right? And that's where you were able to get in the door and and test your app. Exactly. So when we had the prototype, you know, the first version of the app, where uh, you know, looking back, uh, was was quite basic. But then again, they say uh, they say if you're proud of your app when you launched, you waited too long, right? So um, for us, when we launched, it was all about the the trying it out with maybe, you know, five customers. So it wasn't so much about sales. It was about just staying close to the customer, understanding what their pain points are, uh, and really focusing on where we can give them more and more value. So it was just about spending almost, you know, close to a year just with those five customers and literally watching their every move. Angelo Esposito of Whisk Solutions, a bar inventory app. The, he is our guest for this evening. We'll talk about uh, some of uh, success Angelo's had in the startup community, as well as his marketing efforts. And later in the program, we'll talk HR with Mission Mayette of, of uh, FL about the challenges of cannabis in the workplace. That's all coming up on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, presented by F.L. Fuller Landau, Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with F.L.'s Josh Miller. And uh, coming up, we're going to talk about HR issues, specifically the legalization of cannabis and uh, how that's going to affect some workplaces. Uh, But first, we're uh, continuing our chat with Angelo Esposito, who joins us from Toronto. Uh, He is from Whisk Solutions, a bar inventory app. And Angelo, let's talk a bit about marketing. I know you have a a background uh, in that field. Um, First, uh, how did you come up with a plan to uh, to put this product out there? How did you um, get attention, basically? Um, for us, I think a big part of it was getting customer referrals. Uh, so especially being in the, you know, the B2B space, we relied on heavily on really making customers happy and them kind of referring someone else. And now we've implemented kind of a system where they're able to share, uh, you know, referral codes, and then if other people sign up, they get incentives, um, that, that encourages them to, to, to kind of refer people. But all this to say, uh, when it comes to, to B2B decision makers, uh, I think the stat is something like 85% uh, start the buying process with uh, a referral. So that's something that was super important for our beginning growth. Did you, did you figure out what that best incentive was? Like, did you start high and end up lower? Or has it been the same incentive since? Like, what what type of incentive? Is it basically uh, off your price or it's something yeah, else? Yeah. Well, funny enough, when we first started, we, did, we didn't even give anything. What was really reassuring was that clients were referring just out of goodwill. Uh, they were so happy with the product that they would refer it to other people in the restaurant space because, you know, it's, it's a community and, you know, bartenders are friends and restaurateurs are friends. So typically they would just, uh, refer out of goodwill. Uh, but then um, we're trying different incentive programs in different cities as, as tests, but one that works well seems to be to give a discount on their monthly subscription. So for every client they refer, uh, give them a discount, uh, you know, X amount off for, for one month. And, you know, two clients, X amount for two months. 
Uh, so that was one way that seemed to work well, but we're still kind of experimenting with different methods at the moment. Now you have, I mean, you you know, clients in the in the bar business and the restaurant business, uh, and I understand that you have you have a, a client in Vegas. Uh, yeah. You know, tell us how you were able to land that. Was that through a referral program as well? Um, essentially, yes. We actually it was actually through one of uh, Thomas's contacts, um, and uh, Mitch Garber essentially put us in touch with uh, someone he knew in the industry. Uh, and long story short, we uh, they were opening up a venue in Vancouver. And so that was kind of a test run. So we, we they tried out Whisk uh, in their venue in Vancouver, uh, and they were so happy with it that they decided, okay, it passed all the tests. Let's fly these guys out to Vegas and implement it there. So that's kind of how, how that went. It was just kind of knowing the right people and getting a chance to, to show them the product and show them the value. Now, speaking of knowing the right people, there's no doubt you have, you have a startup uh, business, or maybe it's not quite a startup today, you're a few years in, but there's no doubt that mentors and, and accelerators, I, I'm sure you, as you were saying before, you were bootstrapping uh, really right, right up uh, till, till fairly recently. Tell us about how you got involved uh, or got accepted into the Techstars program. Absolutely. So my, uh, my original mentor, just to give credit, is, uh, is definitely my dad just for, for being an entrepreneur for the last 50 years. And I think that's where I definitely got it from, but um, go, go dad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the big thing about Techstars that kind of caught my attention was that they're a worldwide network. So most other uh, accelerators have, you know, uh, they're in one specific place and they usually have one location. The thing about Techstars that really caught my eye was that they're in 150 countries uh, and, they have, and they have access to over 10,000 mentors. So um, the one in Toronto, actually, it's their first Canadian chapter. So it's the first one in Canada. And there were 650 companies that applied from around the world and they chose um, 10. And we're lucky to make it into those top 10 with uh, other startups that are really high caliber from AI companies to, uh, you know, crypto, uh, blockchain companies and cryptocurrency and whatnot. Uh, so that, that's been, uh, you know, a blessing to say the least. But um, being surrounded by the right people, I think, is, is key. And that's one thing that Techstars gives us access to. So mentors that are in your industry or have been gone through similar things that you've gone through uh, to guide you in the right direction. And for us, that's been uh, instrumental. I've noticed mixed reaction from startups sort of really delving into that community where they're surrounded by other startups. Did you find it challenging to um, distinguish yourself from, from a lot of your peers? So I'm actually in a unique situation in the sense that I'm still in the middle of the Techstars program. So <laughs> I can't give you the, the, the full spectrum, but so far I have to say um, it's been an amazing experience. And surprisingly, uh, so I mean, not surprisingly, so much work, and it's, it's really intense, but on the competitive side, uh, it's actually a lot better than I thought in the sense that all the startups help each other out. And just, for instance, being in Toronto, it's a new market for us. Uh, a lot of these other teams that are based in Toronto uh, already introduced us to some people they know in the industry, from restaurants to bars to uh, potential leads or just mentors. So uh, that's been that's been something that's been really nice getting kind of help from different startups. There, there's no doubt that you know you know whether you're looking for for financing or you're trying to apply to tech stars, the pitch is is hugely important. What did you learn from the pitch you did with with tech stars, or what what was the biggest lesson that you could share with us? Um, it seems that one of the biggest things is that the story that you tell is it's fundamental to a good pitch. Uh, so yes, product is important. traction is important. There are a lot of variables that are important, but one of the most important things that maybe I underestimated was how you tell the story, uh, and it seems to be a big part of uh, you know 
companies raising successful rounds. And so that's kind of something we're learning here and, and how to think big, think beyond Canada and the States and think worldwide. Right. Now, now you also have, uh, you have partners, uh, the, the legal side, you know, getting together as partners, your roles, sharing your roles, putting a shareholders agreement together. Uh, was that a smooth process? Uh, did you, you rely on some, some outside guidance, uh, anything that you learned from that? Yeah, surprisingly, it was quite smooth because we did it early on. So um, when the you know, company re- wasn't worth too much, exactly. Like I don't recommend you know doing legal stuff when it's really early and you're still prototyping because you don't you don't want to waste money in the wrong places. But once you see some early signs of traction, I think it makes sense to just without investing too much money, at least get a basic shareholders agreement going on. Uh, so for us, it, it was pretty smooth. We're on the same page about you know everything, and it was myself, Thomas, and 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 Chip, our CTO. Um, and so for us, it was quite a smooth process. But I do recommend, you know, getting access to two lawyers once once there's a little traction, once you guys are onto something and everyone's fully committed. Uh, it doesn't make sense to get everything in writing. And when you're building a new application and there is some competition, but you know you're trying to bring newness to the market, how do you price it? Why do you? What's the process to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to charge, you know, X amount of dollars uh, per month or per use or what have you? What was that process like? Yeah, so in general, pricing is one of the you know toughest things in, in, in any startup, right? Finding a pricing model that makes sense, that's not only for the customer, but that's also scalable and can support the business and its growth. Um, for us, it was a mix of looking at other competitors in the industry and kind of putting them on a, you know, on a matrix and seeing where we sit in terms of our value proposition compared to them. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want to confine yourself to that. If you're giving a lot more value than your competitors, you can't be shy to charge more. And for us, what's, what's kind of letter pricing is based on time and cost savings. So we would look at case studies we've done with clients and look at what we're able to save them. So typically, you know, 80% faster inventory, uh, 35% reduction in waste, and, you know, increasing cash flow uh, up to 40%, just to, uh, some quick highlights. And when we look at those metrics for, you know, our average size venue, we'd kind of compute what we're saving our average client. And from there, take a percentage of that to kind of deduce what the price, what the monthly price should be. Uh, so it's, it's worth, it's worth it for the client. So listen, and that's a good sales, sales alley or avenue to take. Listen, we talk a lot about on the program about uh, entrepreneurs and they really need to, to measure their business so they know which direction to go. And it, and it sounds like you, you're facilitating just that for, uh, for restaurants and, uh, and bars. Angelo, you're going to stick around, and uh, in a few minutes, we'll have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. And uh, coming up, we'll speak with, speak with HR consultant at FL, Micheline Mayette, on the challenges of uh, cannabis in the workplace, potentially, and how this could affect uh, your company. That is on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you for today's Entrepreneur. And on the line is Angelo Esposito. He's going to hang on. He's from Whisk Solutions, a bar inventory app, and we'll have his one piece of advice for today's Entrepreneur in just a little bit. But first, we welcome back Micheline Mayette, HR consultant at FL, uh, to talk about a pretty controversial issue coming up in Canadian politics. Uh, Welcome back, Micheline. 
Hi, Dan. <laughs> um, so cannabis legalization going into effect supposed to be on July 1st, although mm-hmm. it depends on the province. I guess that might get delayed in some cases. Yeah. But this presents some interesting challenges in some workplaces. Um, how do you deal with this uh, if, uh, if the product is legal? How do you discipline uh, someone who may not uh, be totally on the ball as the res- as the result of some consumption. <laughs> yeah, a lot of employers are kind of concerned about the legalization uh, of cannabis coming up. I mean, it's it is justified to a certain extent because when they look at like the states of Colorado and Washington, um, you know, the first year that it was legalized, the consumption did go up considerably, like twenty twenty three percent. So there is likely to be an increase in the use of of cannabis at the beginning. Um, you know, I saw a statistic from 2006. Already then, they were estimating just in Quebec that there was a billion dollars, over a billion dollars a year of lost productivity due to drugs and alcohol in the workplace. So it is a legitimate concern. Um, you know, you how, know do, how do you measure it? It's like, you know, when, when somebody comes in and they're drunk from alcohol, mm-hmm. sometimes you can smell it on their breath or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, you know, with, with cannabis, it might not necessarily be so obvious. Alcohol is not always that obvious either. So, I mean, it's always, you know, you can't, one one of the problems is you can't do random drug testing or alcohol testing um, in Canada. In the U.S., it's a little bit different. Um, You really have to have a legitimate reason to suspect that there's an issue. So it could be, you know, issues with uh, performance. Maybe the person you know has uh, been in a a rehabilitation program in the past. So you really need to have a good reason to do random testing. So you really do have to manage it more by the person's performance rather than anything else. And should employers treat uh, cannabis and alcohol or any drug the same way in terms of job performance? Or are there special considerations with cannabis? It's pretty much the same as alcohol, really. I mean, people can't come to work drunk, so they can't come to work high either. And, you know, some people say, well, what if it's for a medical reason? What if they have a prescription? Um, you know, again, no, nobody's ever prescribed vodka to me. <laughs> <laughs> although, although I'm still, once claimed that I'm in still searching. I'm still searching. <laughs> I, a politician once claimed that in an interview with me, but anyway. <laughs> so yeah, so if there's yeah. a prescription. Yeah, if there's a prescription, but I mean, you can't take any prescribed drug that can impact your your work. So I mean, it can be a safety concern if the person's moving any type of equipment or doing any ma- type of manual labor. So if even if they do have a prescription, you can require their doctor to actually say whether they can work or not being on this medication. What about impairment as the result of legal drugs, something that someone is prescribed, like an antidepressant, for example? Well, it's the same thing. So I mean, if somebody is, I mean, if somebody comes to you and says, "I'm taking a, a prescribed medication that can have an impact on my work," then you can ask, "Is there any limitations? So is the type of work that you can or can't do?" You can ask for an opinion from their doctor. And if you have doubts as to what their doctor is saying, you could even have them examined by your own uh, medical specialist. And and then I guess you, then you have to kind of bring in training of your people. How do how do you identify? It? What do you do if you spot it? It's almost you know. Do you need that kind of a whistleblower to say, hey, I you know I I I think they're 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 using or abusing. Uh, you know, there's a, there's probably a whole training aspect that might go that might come along with it. The main part is really the policy. So a lot of companies right now have policies that say employees can't you know, come to work under the influence of illegal drugs or alcohol. So really they have to just make sure the policy is still valid if they need to add in cannabis to the list because it's no longer an illegal drug. So they might need to just modify the policy. 
And again, I mean, it's really like any like somebody who consumed alcohol. If somebody's having, you know, bizarre, like they're acting strangely at work, um, their performance is suffering, then it requires a conversation. But it's not you don't necessarily assume it's because they're under the influence of drugs or alcohol. They could be having mental health issues. They could have another medical condition. Um, There could be all kinds of reasons. So it's really to have a conversation with the person and see you know, what they say to explain it. Well, there's no question, I think, when it comes to any health issues, whether it's mental, whether it's physical, whatever, it's it's an awareness factor. Uh, and, and are you seeing, you know, more companies, I mean, the challenge of the entrepreneurs are say, how do I make our employees aware? Do I need to take that, those, those steps to, to highlight it? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you're seeing. It's really like a you have to have a zero tolerance policy first of all and communicate it. That's that's really what you can do. I mean, obviously you can communicate the policy to the employees. If it's really a concern, you can have a meeting with them. Um, it's really as far as the enforcement. That's the part that's not always so easy. We just had uh, Bell Let's Talk Day here on on CJD mm-hmm. and other radio stations. So all this uh, to me comes down to a lot of mental health issues. If you think someone in your workplace or your employee is suffering from some kind of mental health issues, what's the most tactful way to to get to the bottom of that? Often it'll be to sit down with the person and kind of mention what you've observed um, to kind of see, you know, depending what, what it is that you've observed. But let's say you've noticed that um, the person's performance has decreased. Um, they're not, you know, they're not working as much. It could be an increase of absenteeism. Maybe that's unexplained. Um, so you can still just sit down with the person and kind of, you know, see what's going on um, without necessarily asking them, you know, are you taking any drugs or alcohol? Unless you have like a legitimate reason to, then you can always, you could ask the question. Um, you'd have to be careful because if they have a dependency to drugs or alcohol, then that's a medical condition. So it's not necessarily cause for a disciplinary measure. So you could have to allow the time for the person to go get the treatment that they need um, to treat this. So there's certain uh, accommodations that you need to provide the person with. Very uh, sensitive topic. And certainly uh, employers are going to have to get on that awareness uh, bandwagon and, and, and educate uh, educate the people around them. Thanks, for, thanks very much, Michelin, You're for, welcome. for joining us. And, uh, and Angelo, uh, you know, as we, as we do at the end of every program, we'll, we'll turn to our guest, uh, Angelo Esposito from WISC, and ask you, Angelo, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? My biggest piece of advice would probably be um, don't get caught up with the idea. It's 5% idea, 95% execution. I see a lot of people just so focused on that side of things. So just start doing, start testing, stay close to your customer, and just keep reiterating, reiterating. But always put your customer first, and you'll get, you'll get to the right spot. Excellent. Thanks very much, uh, Dan. My quick takeaway, accelerators. I don't think people are aware enough. I don't think they use their, their mentors in this uh, often enough. And uh, if you can, go out there and, uh, and find what works for you. Thanks to Angelo Esposito of Whisk Solutions, a bar inventory app. Uh, thanks very much for joining us in Toronto, Angelo. Thank you for having me. Thanks to Micheline as well with her HR advice. And uh, next week on the program, Josh, we're actually going to talk a bit more about booze. Yeah, Circa Distillery should be fun. That's it for today's Entrepreneur. See you back here next Monday night. Don't forget FLMontreal.com for nine years worth of entrepreneurial profiles in the community section. Check that out. Have a good night.